2: what is up welcome to another edition of the nfl fantasy football show it's me your man mg marcus grant fully vaccinated and happy to be back outside again in fact California, like we're all open up again. It's great, you know. It's summer, just in time for summer. It's wonderful. Uh, we have another fun show for you. As always, we continue our cavalcade of stars as we go through uh, this off season. So uh, last week we had Mike taglier I Was excited to talk to him. Uh, this week we've got one of the legends of the fantasy industry. It is the one and only football diehard himself. Mr. Bob Harris, Bob, always good to talk to you. How are things uh, in your part of the Southwest?
3: Fully vaccinated and free to roam around. I just don't go anywhere. No, uh, I went to to Texas for the FSGA uh, convention, the first one, I think, you know, where people were there and it it went really well. They had a good turnout and everyone had a great time uh, and it was nice to, you know, see people in human form looking forward, hopefully to seeing you in Canton this summer
2: that is the plan of course though me being the procrastinator that i am i haven't booked a single thing yet because I you know <laughs> that makes I'll me that. feel that makes me feel better about it by the way speaking of which i uh, you know, saw some of the stuff from the fsga and your partner in crime Emil, uh was uh was nominated to, or was inducted into the hall of fame i shouldn't say nominated so uh <laughs> congratulations to him i know that's a, that's a huge a huge huge honor
3: so, yeah, it was gr- it was a great thing. Great to see it happen. And I mean, he's been an integral part of this industry for so long, starting the magazines. This is a pro forecast that we're doing. You will be part of and uh, a great article in there, by the way, on the 17 game season. But uh, this will be the 32nd straight edition wow. uh, of that magazine. We've added the other titles. He, you know, he, he was the first guy to create a high stakes league and event. Um, you can go back to 1998 and you will find him behind the first documented best ball Draft uh, in the industry, so ha- has been done a lot of things. And one of the things that I think you know that's pretty special about him is his interest in the history of the hobby. You know, he was the impetus behind he and I writing an article going back and studying up on Bill winkenbaugh back in Goppel back in the early '60s, the the dawn of the fantasy football. And he's been doing a series uh, on uh, on his website, Fantasy Nation, with of interviews with with uh, the the pioneers of the industry, right? And so he's done about 30 of those and I think he has about 30 more to go. So be ready for him to holler at you.
2: Wow, that's that's that is incredible. Of course, I mean you got your own stuff going on. You are the senior editor at Football Diehards magazine, which by the way, I don't care what year it is. I feel like the fantasy football magazine will never completely die because I think when you go to a live draft, there's always at least one person that still has an ink and paper copy of a magazine. It's I I I, I sort of compare it to linus and his security blanket like you just kind of want one in your hand and so uh that will never die and of course you're doing uh radio at sirius xm as well so Uh, you've got a lot on your plate. I know you, uh, (laughs) you're like the hardest working man in show business, Bob.
3: Uh, there, there's never a dull moment. And, uh, (laughs) and, and, and the least dull moments are when I get to hang out with you on these podcasts and in human form on occasion.
2: Sweet. That's awesome. Um, all right, well, let's talk, as I'm getting guests on, one of the things I want to talk about is sort of draft strategy. Cause I feel like for every person you talk to, everybody sort of has a different way of going about it. Um, one of the things that I think we always talk about is when you get into a draft, especially when you get into a meet, the meat of a draft, uh, sort of balancing the get your guy I and mean, just having a guy that you like, that you think is going to perform well versus sort of trying to draft that player at what the ADP is. Do you have uh, a method for sort of balancing those two sometimes opposing uh, processes of thought? Totally
3: not. Uh, don't have. I, so my plan is to, to hell with ADP, uh, but, but but it has to be a player I really want. Right. And, and also when you say to hell with ADP, I mean, ADP is not telling us, you know, when we have to draft somebody, I mean, that's not the law. It's when that person is likely to go. And if you want them, you adjust your strategy accordingly and you reach up and maybe, you know, rearrange how your approach is with other players based on that. But I think, you know, in general, ADP is something that I'd almost rather be setting than following, right? I mean, so there's a joke between me and my uh, series co-host, Mike Dempsey. uh, We are in a lot of drafts together, and we always have this one player that we're both on. And by the time we get to the season, we have driven that player's draft price up. You know, be be ready to pay like second round value for Michael Carter by the time the season rolls around because we're already driving that one up. But that's, you know, that's kind of the thing. Also, knowing the room you're in and the people you're drafting with, and that can kind of be more determinative sometimes than ADP itself. But ADP is a nice, useful roadmap, you know, but don't be afraid to reach up and grab your guys. They're your guys. You want them. Don't don't be hindered to say, oh, wow, it's, uh, it's way too early. If you hit a spot in a draft where you're thinking, damn, I, you know. I don't like any of these other guys as much as I like this guy. I would like to get him cheaper, but I'd also like to get him. I mean, the, so that's the balancing act that's going on in my mind is my desire to, <clears throat> to roster that player versus my uh, my tendency to be a cheapskate and want to pay as little <laughs> as I can for every damn thing in life. So so it is it is a rough go, but I'm not afraid to reach up for players. I mean, Chris Carson is a prime example of a guy who I'll, I'll always go over ADP on.
2: You know, it's funny you mentioned Chris Carson, too, because I think he's one of those guys where, you know, people look at the fact that maybe he doesn't catch as many passes as some other guys. But when it's all said and done, the production you get from Chris Carson week in and week out is is akin to, you know, what you're getting with any other, you know, maybe high end RB2s. But for whatever reason, we sort of look at this one part of his game that he doesn't do and he falls and it goes back to you, you talking about to hell with ADP because at some point it's a weird feedback loop, right? Because, right. you know, we, we, we look at ADP and you draft a guy, maybe that's, that's earlier than what you know everybody else is drafting him at. And, and it sort of freaks people out, but like, if, if you are drafting everyone at their, their draft value, um, it doesn't do it. doesn't say anything about that player. It just says more about sort of how you're drafting. And I know I fall into that trap of, uh, Hey man, this guy has a, a fourth round ADP. I don't know if I want to take him in the second round, but uh, you know, I, I think you know I admit that I sort of have to break that tendency because I think it's right. easy it's, to fall into. To,
3: to, you know, in our defense, it, you know, we're doing a lot of this publicly on Twitter, where we're going to get lambasted for <laughs> you know the slightest missteps. Up, I you know, I'm all I don't care anymore. To hell with you, Twitter. Um, I love you, but to hell. With you. Um, but that's the thing. You know, it's trying to overcome those things. Part of it is we're playing in leagues with a lot of people who do this for a living. So you know you're not going to, you know, they're you're not going to sneak one past anybody, right? You're going to you're going to have to go out and get that guy if you want him because some, you know, like every time I end up waiting on someone, I think I can get him one round later. You know, inevitably I do not. So I think uh, you know that feedback loop is playing heavily in my ear when I'm drafting.
2: You know, I will say this one thing and and you you touched on it when you and Mike Dempsey do drafts, but I remember the first time I drafted against like listeners to the podcast. And it was a whole new experience. They know. They know who you like. I remember uh, years ago, Alex Gelhar and I did the first sort of listener league uh, for this podcast. And I remember us doing the draft and our heads were spinning because every guy we liked, every guy we thought we could have as a sleeper would go one or two rounds ahead of where we were prepared to take them because all the listeners listened to the show and they knew who we liked. And it was. We do that with eye-opening. best
3: balls every week on the show, where I mean, we're running two or three listener league best balls, and you, you just see it. it. I mean, it's just, oh, go, okay. So, and that's good practice for, you know, kind of, you know, getting away from and divorcing yourself from that being locked into ADP. Knowing that you're drafting in a room full of people that know exactly what you're thinking. And that's, uh, you know, going back to what I said, you know, you knowing your room, understanding the people you're playing with. And I think for a lot of people in home leagues, you know who, you know, your league mates favorite players or favorite teams are or their tendencies, how they've drafted over the years. And you can leverage that a little bit with ADP to maybe gain a little advantage.
2: So that being said, I mean, this is the time of year people are trying to figure out, you know, do we go zero RB, robust RB, you know, wait on a quarterback, quarterback. Do you subscribe to one philosophy over another when you're drafting? No. Uh,
3: and I have the but I say that knowing I have the advantage of all a 100 drafts by the time the season starts. Right. So uh, and part of my job is understanding, you know, the various possible outcomes to the different strategies. So I'll take different approaches on purpose. Uh, you know, an experiment, and it's also a great excuse for when my team suck while I was experimenting. <laughs> uh, no, the the uh, there's a lot of uh, the, I have a lot of leeway to to test things out. I, I think in general, if you said, "Hey, what what's your approach?" I tend to have approach where I'm I tend to be kind of a traditional running back heavy, but I think that goes beyond that. I think it's that's a that's an oversimplification. I am workload heavy, right? clear path to workload this is what i'm after right so when i'm seeing Corey davis sitting there in the 11th round i'm thinking wow this is a wide receiver one and i'm seeing wide receiver threes being selected ahead of him. look they may fare well they may fare better than he does but man when i'm getting that price on him and he's a wide receiver one i know what the plan is at least or you know what the pecking order should be I'm not afraid to draft like that. I want to. I want to draft guys that I know are going to see the football.
2: Well, and that's that's the thing that I, I sort of lean on too is that I know we we get caught up in in talent a lot, you know, especially coming off the draft, uh, off the NFL draft, where we see these rookies land in certain spots, and everybody has spent you know the the last several months watching tape on these college guys, and you sort of get hyped up on what a guy's ability can be, uh, and then in the end, if they land in a spot where maybe that opportunity isn't there, I think we sort of try to you know shoehorn them into a spot and the guy I'm thinking of and, and I now mind you I drafted him late last night in the draft we were in together but Rashad Bateman is a name that that pops into my head because I watched him too and I think he's a really good player I also think he's in a situation in Baltimore where his opportunities are going to be sort of limited because it's still going to be a run-heavy team uh, you've got Mark Andrews you've got Marquise Brown there to kind of you know still compete for targets and so I feel like you know sometimes we have to sort of divorce ourselves from how good we think a player is. If we don't believe that opportunity is there. And I guess that's sort of kind of where you're, you're headed with that. Yeah, like all things in
3: life. I mean, the, the better you job you can do of divorcing yourself from the emotional attachments or, you know, feelings you have for a situation or a player, uh, the better the decisions you're going to make. That doesn't mean you don't end up with that player or making that same decision. But if you can make it from a more logical point of view and, and run through some of the things you mentioned. And of course, in Rashad Bateman's case, his name not being Mark Andrews is a great hindrance to him. Uh, so, but, but I mean, I do think that, you know, there comes a time when you understand what the anticipated pecking order is. It's not unreasonable to take a, take a a flyer on those guys because essentially you are though. Most of these players are going fairly late in drafts. And and I think that's the thing. We, we get into the sexy guys, the flashy, the, the guy, Oh, everyone's the buzz is talking about this guy. And and granted, you know, that doesn't mean like an Antonio Brown is going to be wide receiver three. I think he's being probably underdrafted still. If you look at that late season run, he got on. But, I mean, you know, people tend to draft that name more than anything and, or the, the reputation. And if you can kind of step back and avoid that and maybe draft him for the right reasons, you get a pretty good value on him.
2: So you mentioned names and opportunity, and that sort of brings me to that the draft that you and I were in last night, uh, one of the drafts for the, the Diehards magazine, a week that were actually playing out. But uh, Nashi Harris, who is has become a name, obviously, with what he did in college, uh, he's in a situation in Pittsburgh where the opportunity is going to be there because I don't think any of us fear any of the guys behind him on that depth chart. You got him middle of the second round at, at that
3: 2.7.
2: <laughs> kind of, That's the lowest I've seen him go in a while. And that, I mean, I was gonna say that 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 sort of surprised <clears> me because I mean in a lot of spots, you're talking we're we're arguing whether or not he should be a first round pick. You get him sort of mid to late in the second round. Um, obviously you were surprised. I, I, I'm trying to still, you know, here the, in the, the morning after scratching my head. Exactly. How did that happen? Were we all, were we all scared? Did we all fall asleep? How did that happen? Exactly. I was
3: pleasantly surprised. I think the number of, so in most of the drafts I've been in to date, the running backs have gone crazy. It's not unusual to see 17, maybe 18 go off in the first two rounds. That seems to have cooled off again a bit. And maybe you've noticed that, but in this one we had what? One, two, three, three wide receivers and two tight ends four wide receivers and two tight ends go off uh, before I picked him. And that, and I think that was the difference maker right there. And, 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 and thank goodness for that. I mean, I, I was prepared to have, I mean, I was, I was considering Chris Carson at that spot. Thinking, man, everyone's going to be drafting running backs. It's going to be that frenzy. And it was not the frenzy I expected. And maybe we're getting a little normalization and that'll help us out on the running back front. This has been this has been like a recent trend. Maybe the last two, three weeks I'm seeing you know, just a slight throttling back on the running back frenzy.
2: Yeah, which which I don't know if if that's – I don't know what the reason is for that, but I think you're right. I think people are starting to kind of – it's starting to settle back to what we saw you know in the last couple of years uh, with some of those wide receivers kind of sliding in. I think maybe it's because, at least for me, I think you get to that, that latter part of the first round, early part of the second, and you're looking at running backs that – maybe you're just not in love with at least not at that draft price and Mm -hmm. you you can look around and see some wide receivers that can give you similar production and maybe you feel maybe you feel better with a Tyreek Hill over a Nick Chubb or something like that I I think I
3: love a bunch of those second round guys and you know I've joked about Carson you know I was panning I mean getting him in the third round is like the thing that's giving me the comfort to go away from running backs in the second round but you know when I say people are going away from the running back friendly, I mean people not named Bob Harris. Bob Harris always in a running back frenzy <laughs> forever, uh, and and like it's just it's we all know what it is. It's the positional scarcity of the guys with the true featured roles, and I feel like getting you know two of those. I mean, you know, we we can wonder about Jonathan Taylor. It doesn't seem to matter to him. Whatever the workload is, he's going to be pretty productive with it, and and uh, and so you know, hoping for that late season run to carry over for him as well. And then coming around, I was thinking, man, if I got Eckler, that would be great. If I, you know, Joe Mixon, I'd be I'm happy, happy second round Joe Mixon drafter. Yes, I have no, <laughs> no, uh, no memory. I'm a defensive back when it comes to drafting <laughs> players who sucked last year.
2: Um, you, mentioned, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor because you took him just ahead of Derrick Henry. Uh, I mean, you're gonna ask me because it's still sort of fresh in the the news hole there. Uh, any concerns about Derrick Henry now that Julio Jones is in Tennessee?
3: Uh, Not really. I mean, honestly, uh, I think the only reason I wouldn't take Derrick Henry in this draft is because I have a lot of shares of Derrick Henry. Um, You know, and that's something that, you know, happens when you draft a lot. Um, You want to get there's guys that you wanted to get that you haven't got yet. You're going, oh, here's my I haven't had a chance to get Jonathan Taylor. I think this is this may be my only I think this is my first share of Jonathan Taylor in any of the magazine drafts. I have some best ball shares, but. In all the magazine drafts, and we do a lot of them. Um, I have I have zero of him, so I was really eager eager to have him. I have a number of shares of of Derrick Henry. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of concerns with Julio Jones with the obvious regression. Hey, he's going to regress. I don't care. <laughs> I do think he's a unique individual, Derrick Henry, in that you know, as far as running back goes, I don't remember a running back in recent memory that that dishes out more than he takes, and he does that. I think he's in a good spot. I don't think Julio hurts him. I mean, there's a lot of open targets there. Someone's got to take care of that end of the business before they cut into Derrick Henry's workload. And I think that's what's going to happen. And I think Julio landed in the best possible spot, uh, you know, in, in that regard. In term, for, From a fantasy perspective of, of what makes us happy, right? Here's a whole bunch of open targets. Here's a guy who can catch a bunch of them without destroying A.J. Brown.
2: Um, and you talk about Julio Jones regression. What what does he regress to? Like eleven 1, hundred yards, right? And like, right. You know.
3: Right. That Derrick Henry, right? The Derrick Henry regression, right? If he if he fell off to oh seventeen hundred yards, that'd be horrible. You're I mean, it, right. I mean, he's going to run for a thousand yards standing on his head, almost. You know. So I just feel like this is a this is one of those where people we get the we get emotional. Like we remember guys that have done two thousand yard seasons in the past and how poorly they fared. Uh, as Marcus Grant will remind you, people, it's seventeen <laughs> games this year, uh, and, and so I, th- I do think there's a, a whole dynamic there that we're going to have to look at is is how maybe we see workloads managed, maybe slightly differently. I mean, are they just going to go nuts? But but in Henry's case, you know, the first few years of his career, they went really light on him, and uh, I'm not uh, I'm not a believer in curses and things like that. Sorry, three seventy cursors, uh, <laughs> just not doing it.
2: You know it's funny because I hadn't heard that. I hadn't heard that talk about the curse of three hundred and seventy or three hundred and seventy-five, whatever it is. I hadn't heard that for a couple of years, uh, and I saw it creeping back into my Twitter timeline uh, yesterday. And, and look, I get it. I understand it. For I those did. of you who don't know, the 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 thought being after a running back has three hundred and seventy-five or more touches in a year, the next year there tends to be a big fall off. Um, maybe it's possible, but as you mentioned, Derrick Henry is not. He's not a regular back he's not a regular sized back no Um, I mean I'll never forget seeing him in person uh, the year he was uh, in the draft and he came through our our offices and he walked past me and uh, I mean I knew who he was but if you had told me that he was a pass rushing defensive end I would have said okay yeah sure I mean that's how he's built and so maybe he is sort of immune to that the
3: phrase one of these things is not like the other was designed (laughs) for him
2: right exactly um other part of this do you have a specific tight end drafting strategy? Uh, is there you talk about positional scarcity? That might be the most scarce position on the board. Do you do you have a way that you tend to attack that position in drafts?
3: Yeah, I'm all over the board on it right now. I mean, I've done Travis Kelsey round one drafts. I've done Darren Waller round two drafts. I've done George Kittle round three drafts. I'm always happy to get Mark Andrews wherever I get him. And it's been maybe some round five versions of Mark Andrews. And, you know, I mean, there's reasons for for concern. You mentioned the additional weapons and things like that. I was talking to Jonah Schaefer from the Baltimore Sun uh, this past Saturday. He alleviated some of my concerns. He said he looks phenomenal. And he seems really, uh, you know, focused on remaining the best guy. But, I mean, he's led that team in reception. So, he's a guy I'm targeting. I'm fine targeting a little later. You know, so I think there's all these little mini tiers of, of tight ends. And I think, you know, you you can make the argument that Kelsey and Waller are right there in those first two rounds. I think people are maybe a little bit uh, dialed back more on George Kittle than they should be. I get that health has been an issue. You know, I try to be injury agnostic. Everybody can and will get hurt at some point. And maybe everybody doesn't have to at some point. So I I don't know that, you know, but I'm kind of a Brandon Ayuk guy this year. And so I've been trying not to throw all my eggs in that basket (laughs) to the, to the degree I, I possible, and, and, you know, just not for nothing. Brandon Ioke is one of those guys where I throw ADP out the window. I'm drafting yeah. him crazy earlier than everyone else. So, uh, so, but I think once you get past those tight, you know, once you get outside Hawkinson, I mean, you know, I'm okay drafting Kyle Pitts. I think there's a pretty clear path to workload there. He's a pretty amazing player. Uh, I'm not going to fear the fact that rookie tight ends tend not to be a big deal. He's a big deal. Um, And so I'm okay getting him where he's going, if that's what happens. I'm also okay just punting, right? And I'm punting a lot. And, you know, if I'm getting, you know, Irv Smith, uh, Mike Zimmer's comments, notwithstanding, I know what he, I realized he said there, you know, things aren't going to change. I don't think things are going to change. I think his role, I think that means his receiving role remains unchanged. And maybe we see Tyler Conklin more as the inline blocker, but I mean, I'm not afraid of Mike Gusecki still. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys I can get later, that I'm okay taking a chance on and and even going way late and grabbing Adam Troutman or someone you know as a as a maybe a tight end two with some upside I'm okay with as
2: well your your stated strategy is what my actual reality strategy is even though it's not what I say out loud um you know out loud I keep telling people like oh I'm either gonna pay up and get one early or I'm gonna wait and get an upside guy late when in reality uh you know I I end up with you know the Gasikies and the you
3: know, I am doing that more this year than I ever have.
2: Yeah, I just I always do it. I I always try to tell myself, you know, it's like it's like telling yourself you're not going to go back and, right. and you know grab another handful of you know trail mix or something like that. But you know you are like, no. you know, so just you might as well just own it. That's uh I think that's where I need to come. That's where I need to be in my head at this point.
3: It's now. you know it I mean if you're not really keen on grabbing that Travis Kelsey round 1 or Darren Waller round 2 I think everything after that's pretty much fair game. You know, it's hard to find, you know, guys, two guys that are unique to their offense in terms of the targets they're getting. I mean, I think George Kittle could be that guy. I just think the talent at wide receiver, if it stays healthy, at some point is going to have an impact on him. Um, And and maybe not. I mean, the quarterback play is going to be better this year. And, uh, and so, and maybe the whole offense will be better this year. So, We'll see. I, I'm, I'm not against drafting George Kittle. I have some shares of him. I just think it's maybe a little early to grab him at this point when you're having to invest that round three
2: capital. That's true. Uh, by the way, you and I, I think, are of, of the same mind about Brandon Ayuk. I, I'm excited about yeah, him this year. So very, very you. excited about Brandon Ayuk. Um, all right. So a couple weeks ago, I had Jake Seely on this show and we did what I call the fantasy Rorschach tests, which are the guys that like you put their name out there and people just see what they want to see from that guy. Uh, this week I've got it's a, it's sort of similar, but kind of different. It's the guys I'm calling them the free range guys because the range of outcomes could be so vast. Like I have no idea what to make of them. So I'm going to I'm going to put it to you and see if you have a better idea of what uh, what we should expect from some of these guys because generally there are guys that I've avoided in drafts, I just don't know what to do. The first one being Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who I thought last year, I thought he was more a victim of our expectations than anything that happened to him on the field. Um, but because of that, uh, and the fact that the you know the, the Chiefs keep adding running backs here and there, I have zero idea of what to expect from Clyde Edwards-Alaire this year.
3: I expect him to be cheaper than 106 this year. That's my <laughs> primary expectation, because we did get it in front of our But that's always also something that, that we can use to leverage value right when a, when a guy falls short you know he's on the near the top of my list of guys that are probably going to be way cheaper than they should be just based on the disappointment of last year even if last year wasn't as horrible as we think it was and and it was not great but it was not terrible until levy bell showed up apparently it was terrible for levy bell too I'm, i don't <laughs> right? right that was that was weird um but uh <laughs> But, but I think, you know, the, the surprising thing for all of us was here's the best receiving back in the draft class and they don't ask him to catch anything. He's not a very good goal line back yet they would have him pound into the back of that offensive line barely <laughs> relentlessly without success. So, look, the offensive line is going to be better. The offense is still going to be good. I think if you're getting him in the, you know, in the third round. Uh, you know, and you went some different ways early and you would need a running back too, I think they, I think he's a really good play and I think you're getting some good value there and he'll probably outperform those expectations.
2: Right, I think that's fair. I mean, I just, I think, I think he's sort of, I mean, this may be like a Goldilocks thing, right? Like last year we expected too much. This year, maybe we don't expect not enough. So right. next year we'll we'll have it just right.
3: Right. <laughs> um, so, so second year backs too. I mean, I talk, Mike Clay talks about this all the time, you know, <laughs> how a lot of times second year backs really come into their own. Uh, and, uh, and, and there are examples of that, but I think, you know, maybe it does take a little bit of adjustment learning the offense, learning the pass protection so they can have a more complete role. That's always the biggest deal, right? Can you pass block? Do you understand the protection schemes, especially when the quarterback is making a half billion dollars that becomes even more
2: important. (laughs) that's that's very true um the other guy or another guy i should say that that i haven't really been able to pick is odell beckham jr because uh part of me remembers i mean you know i still remember the giants days when you know he was all world right i mean even even beyond you know the catch uh just all the things he did and how great he was and the fact that he hasn't been able to approach that in cleveland for any number of reasons right it's not just one thing but there's there's been multiple reasons he hasn't been the same guy in cleveland um you know part of me is like well you know the old odell could always come back or maybe it's just this is who he is um so that reason i've sort of stayed away i don't know if you have a clear clear idea of who obj can be
3: i don't have a well i mean we all have a pretty clear idea of the range right and so you know it just comes that point of what do i need when he's there staring at me you know in the fifth or sixth seventh round In the seventh round it's starting to look pretty appealing that's where i'm going back to my like wow, here's a wide receiver one. And I see people drafting, you know, somebody's wide receiver three. Okay. This might work out well for me. Uh, and, and that's not to say three wide receivers on a team can't do well. Cause see the Bengals of 2021 uh, when we're talking next year. Um, so, so I mean, I get all that, but I do think, you know, there's a price point where it's, it's, I feel pretty comfortable gambling on the upside of a player and realizing that maybe the, the baseline Is going to be more what I get. I think Odell Beckham is that guy. If I get him, it doesn't bug me at the current price. That sixth round price tag does not bother me. Um, And uh, and and somewhere in the back of my mind, I am thinking this guy could be a wide receiver one. You know that he's very talented. But I think the I do think the offensive scheme is going to uh, restrict him to some degree and keep him from ever being the guy that we uh, hoped he would be.
2: I do think that that plays into it, right? Because the Browns, um, I mean, if everything goes their way, they're not going to need to throw the ball a ton, right? I mean, they've got a good defense. They can keep opponents from scoring. They've got two good running backs in like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt that they can sort of lean on, especially in late-game in late situations. So maybe that does sort of put a cap on what he can be, but there's still, you know, look, there will still be games where there will be opportunities for him to go out and make plays. There will still be weeks right. where Baker Mayfield has to throw the football uh, and so maybe those are the weeks you see the yeah. the Odell of old. Uh, I'm way more
3: enthusiastic to, grabbing him in best ball leagues than than regular dre- leagues.
2: Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, definitely. Uh, all right. So we go back to his old team, though, and Evan Ingram. Um, and I have been at least for years sort of holding on to the hope that Evan Ingram can replicate what he did as a rookie. And it hasn't happened yet. Um, part of me is ready to let go of the rope. Right, but part of me thinks that maybe he could be there. And you, and you talked about kind of you know, just getting tight ends where you think you can see value. Um, is there a spot where you see value with Evan Ingram?
3: I see him as a value in every draft I've been in so far. And look, I get it. I mean, he came up way short last year. The Giants could have saved six million dollars by trading or releasing him. They did neither. Uh, I know they added a lot of other components, right? So I'm not, you know, going to overstate the case here. But I mean he was horrible last year and he was still a pro bowl player. So there's that, but, but maybe that says more about the pro bowl than it does about anything else. He had a lot of drops, right. And a lot of the passes thrown his way were intercepted. Like I think a league high, what would maybe six passes. I don't know. I might, I might, I might be crazy on that. It was a lot
2: though. Yeah. whatever. It was, it was a lot
3: though. And so, um, so I do think here's a guy that if you wait until late, or if you're drafting a tight end two with upside, he has all those things. And some of this is going to be Daniel's Jones dependent. And, uh, and as uh, and I'm you know I'm not going to go back and jump back on to the uh, be the engineer of the Daniel Jones hype trade again but I'm kind of gonna no uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's reasons to believe he can he can play better as well and Evan Ingram is a difference making physical you know presence right with that speed to split the seam and everything and they have more weapons downfield i mean i can so as a as a really cynical mean spirited old man um, I have this amazing capacity to tell myself happy stories about just about anything. And I could tell myself a very happy story about Evan Ingram.
2: I'll say this. I was not the engineer of the Daniel Jones hype train, but I was near the front of the train with my head out the window. You were the conductor. To, to I saw you. You
3: were on with me. We were conspiring. <laughs> was,
2: you know, I was urging you to honk the horn, you know, <laughs> I you to, to blow the whistle a little bit. Um, so this is one that you and I talked about on your radio show with Mike Dempsey uh, a couple of weeks ago. The Saints' quarterback situation. Um, again, that's one I, I shouldn't say I've stayed away from it because I've drafted Taysom Hill late in a couple of a couple of spots, just hoping for that touchdown upside. But if you ask me what I think Sean Payton is going to do, I couldn't give you an honest answer because I have zero idea how this thing's going to shake out down there.
3: I, you know, I'm I've been avoiding it for that reason, right? Number one, we are not 100 percent sure who's going to win the job. We all think it's going to be Jameis Winston. If I was betting money on it, I would bet money on Jameis Winston. I don't have any of that, so it doesn't really matter. I'm, it's totally hypothetical. But I would I, – I mean, I do think – I mean, we saw with Taysom Hill. They got their look at Taysom Hill, and maybe he's better suited to not being the number one. But I do think it's interesting to think about this, though, in terms of Taysom Hill's that touchdown threat. If Jameis Winston is the starter, uh, do they give Taysom Hill that same role when he's the number two quarterback? Maybe they need to be a little more cautious with him as the number two, and they don't put him in those positions as a pass catcher, ball carrier, et cetera, et cetera. I talked to the John Hendricks from SI.com about this uh, over the weekend, and that was in part his theory. In general, I'm concerned about the offense a little bit because this offense has been in, you know, funneled through a very narrow band of players. right? And so you know, one of the things we always have to do for the magazines, and everyone asks you about who's the first-round bust, I think everyone's going to play pretty good that I draft in the first round. But if you're like trying to split hairs there, I look at Alvin Kamara going in the top four or, you know, maybe top five and I can tell myself a sad story there of, of, you know, Drew Brees targeting his running back nearly 30% of the time, I think 28% of the time over the last four years with Kamara in the backfield. how much of his value has been based on those targets and the production that comes from those Jameis Winston didn't target his running back's you know, twenty percent of the time, I think it was closer to eighteen percent of the time during his four seasons as a starter. Uh, Taysom Hill did not target uh, Alvin Kamara heavily last year, as anyone who has Alvin Kamara on their uh, on their roster knows. So, I mean, if we're looking for a reason to be a little bit concerned, like I'm not concerned. I'm not not drafting Alvin Kamara. Just in the back of my mind, I say this could change a little bit, and will this change also? For Michael Thomas and and the pieces around him. And they don't have a lot of pieces around him. So I I don't know if I have a lot of expectations for this offense, other than the obvious that yes, Alvin Kamara is a is a fantasy running back one who I might be willing to draft at a higher price than I'm totally comfortable with, but kind of okay with it. And Michael Thomas is a value because he's coming off a wonky year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Thomas is a guy that I'm not worried about at all in the least I mean even when Taysom Hill was the starter right he was nothing there was no fall off for him he was just as productive uh I mean I do share that that concern about Kamara based on on who's going to be the quarterback uh I mean my my thing with with Taysom Hill is if they were willing to take Drew Brees off the field and granted this was not the same Drew Brees we had seen earlier in his career obviously it was it was a you know an, an aging player who wasn't the same but if they're willing to take him off the field, who's to say they won't do it with Jameis Winston? Yep, fair point. Um, that's a little bit. I will, I will ask this, though. Uh, does Alvin Kamara having his own breakfast cereal now change anything? You know, he's got a, he's got a cereal player. Uh, Kamara Crunch, I think it is. is does Adam, Adam Troutman
3: eat it? Because if so, I'm even more excited about Adam Troutman. But no, <laughs> <laughs> I just want them to let him wear the two-color shoes every game he yes. wants
2: to. Yes, please, please, NFL. Like a no-brainer. Uh, I'll uh, I'll shoot an email to Roger Goodell please, see if, see, if, see if that'll happen. Um, all right, so you mentioned Michael Carter as a guy you like, and I like him as well. You mentioned you and Mike Dempsey are are trying to artificially inflate his ADP. So I draft I, I will draft Michael Carter in spots. Uh, I have drafted uh, Corey Davis in a couple of spots, and uh, you know it's it's <clears> that it's that you know, taking the last slice of pizza sort of regret, right? Like you, you feel like this is going to be a good idea, but in the back of your mind, you know, that this could kind of go wrong. You could, you know, end up, you know, with the bubble guts in the middle of the night. Like that's sort of how I feel about the jets offense as a whole, like on the one side, like I feel like this could be something really good. And then part of me is like, it's the jets. When has it really been good? Where do you fall on that?
3: Uh, Did I mention, I'm able to tell myself very happy stories. (laughs) Uh, So I can tell myself a pretty happy story about the jets right? They've drafted this quarterback. And I know the history of them drafting quarterbacks is not great. I don't necessarily subscribe to all the historical. I mean, Joe Douglas just got there, right? And, and and so he had to work through some really horrible issues that were left behind in terms of both personnel and coaching, right? So now he has the people he wants on board. He's selecting the player he wants. You look at what he's done in the offensive line the last two years. That left side of that offensive line is going to be damn good, right? And so I'm kind of excited. And then you look at the kind of players they drafted on the offensive side of the football at the skill positions. These are like super explosive threats. Elijah Moore is a guy I'm interested in, certainly in dynasty um, and, and maybe a little bit in redraft, maybe more, maybe less now that Jamison Crowder's back, but maybe not because they might still trade him. You know, I mean that, but I think you look at M- Michael Carter. I mean, you know, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, he was sharing with Javante Williams last year over, 20, I think, 23 plays at 20 yards plus. I mean, these are the kind of playmakers you want to give a young quarterback. And I think, you know, and and also in, in Carter's case, I mean, is there anyone there really better? I mean, could Tevin Coleman kind of reemerge as a viable early down play? I suppose so. I mean, you know, it's been a few years since we've seen him be pretty viable from a fantasy perspective, but it's going to be that similar scheme that he's, he knows of. So Michael LaFleur will be running the, the offense. So, you know, we kind of know what the the plan is and I, and I, and yeah, I kind of am optimistic or maybe probably more optimistic than I should be, especially about Michael Carter in particular, and maybe a little bit about Elijah Moore and maybe a little bit about Corey Davis, who's the guy I'm probably investing in more, not named Michael Carter. It's probably Davis, just because the price tag and the anticipated role. But, you know, they paid him. They paid him wide receiver one money or thereabouts.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I am trying to shake off that whole you know ghosts of Christmas past right. thing with the Jets, right? And, um, because what I did like with you know, what they did in the draft and what they've done so far is they are doing for Zach Wilson what they never really did for Sam right. Darnold, which exactly. is trying to put something around him. Um, You know, and we'll see how the coaching staff shakes out and and everything around there. But there is at least reason to believe that things will be different this time around.
3: Right. The the defense will be better, but maybe not still that much better. And that's, you know, always something we're looking for. Like, I'm so rooting against Dallas's defense right now. I'm hoping that Dan Quinn can't do a damn thing with that group.
2: (laughs) I mean, look, that's the reason reason we love Dak, right? And and all his wide receivers because that defense is just not going to be good and they're going to have to throw the football a, a million times a game. So, yeah. Um, all right. Before we get out of here, I, I always like to do some rapid fire, just random, fun, non-fancy related questions. You are well known as being a cat person. Um, yeah, love love the photos of uh, of your your furry ones when when you throw them up there. So I got to ask: Garfield or Heathcliff?
3: Ah, uh, well, because I own the real life Garfield, I have to go in that direction. Although <laughs> my littler one is kind of Heathcliff esque in his attitudes, uh, just way more murderous. <laughs> okay. uh, so. Uh, so yeah, so Ming the Merciless is is a Garfield clone, except about three times the size. Wow! <laughs> All right, are you,
2: you're not feeding him lasagna, are you? Uh, he eats whatever he wants. So that's <laughs> <topical>. <laughs> you're that big, you kind of do, right? <laughs> um, you are also maybe the uh, the biggest yogi in fantasy Twitter. <laughs> uh, do you have a preferred uh, yoga pose?
3: Anything but cray. Anything but crow. Crow is like, uh, is, I mean, I'm like almost 60, man. I don't, I don't need that aggravation in my life of <laughs> falling on my face and breaking my elbow. So, uh, I, I like all of them. I, li- I, I do a ton. I do yoga every day. So, um, <clears throat> I'm a big fan and I like pretty much every damn thing about it.
2: All right. Uh, I will say that I am partial to pigeon.
3: Uh, myself. I love, a pigeon great post.
2: Pigeon's great. I can just hang out there for a while and like watch TV or just chill out. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, I'm it's with awesome. You. Uh, also, you are a, a huge music guy. I know you were part of the Alice in Chains Fantasy League. Uh, you're a live music guy. Um, now that, that you know, the world is opening back up again, is there a band that you can't wait to go and see live again?
3: As a matter of fact, there is. So the, I think the last band I saw live was Tool uh, in January of last year. So uh, actually, I saw some small shows after that before everything got locked down. I think Sepul- so- Soulfly, uh, the old Sepultura boys and uh, and some some really serious. Band. But there is a band that will be touring uh, this year that I will be seeing. It's Ginger. It's a Ukrainian band. Uh, it's really uh, unique. Uh, it's pretty hardcore metal, but also a lot of like, I mean, they'll mix in reggae, jazz, all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. So um, I'll be I'll be checking them out and uh, and in Dallas this year
2: sweet yeah that is live music is one of the things i am most looking oh. forward to now that uh, now that we can go back outdoors so, again oh uh, my. and be around people i'm definitely looking forward to that um bob you know i always enjoy talking to you i look forward to being you know in your presence in you know in live space at some point in the very near future uh i would assume that people who listen to this podcast know where to find you but for the uninitiated uh where can they find your work
3: on the twitter at football diehard is a good starting point uh, footballdiehards.com uh, the fantasy football pro forecast magazine, draft book magazine, Cheat sheets magazine, football diehards magazine, and
2: on Sirius XM fantasy sports radio. <laughs> that was that That's an excellent promo. I appreciate it. Uh, Bob, always, always good to talk to you. Uh, be well, continue to be well. And uh, you know, best of luck as <laughs> as we move through the summer and get closer uh, to the regular season. So
3: thanks uh, for having me on. And you know, I'll be hitting you up like every other week for, Got spots.
2: Look forward to it. Look forward to it. Uh, as for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate review. And remember, the last thing some people want to do is hurt you, but it's still on the list. Be safe, take care of yourselves, get vaccinated, and we'll see you next week.